0: You're listening to the Colby Connections podcast. If you have any questions or concerns, or if you just need somebody to talk to, please connect with us at wfcog.com. Enjoy. You know, every time I get an opportunity to speak, and and I've probably done a similar speech like this, um, you know, in 10 different states, probably 20 different times over the years, um, just because of what I do. I also want to start out by saying I just want to thank the pastor for this opportunity. Uh, I want to thank my family, my sister, and you know, my parents for being here. Um, all right, we'll get started. <laughs> you know, imagine just as I stand before you today as a guest speaker, uh, imagine that you're uh, in a church and all of a sudden Jesus walks in and starts giving his, uh, uh, his sermon. Um, you know, this happened 2,000 years ago. We see this in Luke 4, that in the church of Nazareth, uh, Jesus comes in and he, he asks to speak. Very deliberately, he goes uh, up into the uh, where they have their scrolls in this little area of the church, um, and he takes out the book of Isaiah 61. During this period of time, he basically gives us his personal mission statement. Um, it's something that, um, you know, a lot of people were thinking, you know, here he is. He's going to speak probably about sin or hope or grace, uh, faith, heaven or hell. What, you know, what gets you there? Uh, but no, he gave us his personal mission statement. He says, the Lord's spirit is upon me because he has chosen me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to announce freedom for the prisoners, to give sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. In other words, he's come to help the helpless, the hopeless the most vulnerable of us, those who have uh, no voice within their community. That is why he said that he's the light of the world, bringing life, hope, faith, grace into darkness and suffering and despair. John says in his gospel, in him was life and the life was the light of the world. I can imagine John saying in another way. Watch him, learn from him, follow him. The light of hope goes with him everywhere on lepers, the cripple in the pool of Bethesda, the two men at Jericho. Today it would be considered probably the homeless, the mentally ill, the addicted on our street corners. All throughout the gospel, Jesus sticks to this same script. He doesn't vary. He's laser focused on what his mission is. That in one of his last teachings, though, he taught about the importance of the final day of judgment and how all this ties in. He clearly drives this home in Matthew 25. This is one of three parables where he's teaching his disciples. He's kind of one of the last opportunities to kind of ingrain to them what he wants them to continue doing. As he knows, his time is short. He, he tells them that, you know, he's going to come back. This time he's not going to come in the form of a, ba- a baby in a manger. He's going to come back and it's going to be a judgment of all men and women. We're going to spend our time this morning focus on the third parable, which is termed the final judgment. And I want to say, I also have to say, there's no condemnation for those that love the Lord. So please don't take that I'm coming up here and I'm some uh, pious individual that does everything right. I think today is just an opportunity for me to challenge people in this congregation. I'm very blessed to be a member of this congregation, to be with one that's so giving and thoughtful. Uh, We're lucky to be led by a pastor who gets it. But this message is for everyone in here because we always can do more. The needs are so great in our community that we all can do more. Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46, and it's pretty lengthy, so excuse me if I have to read it out for you all. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another. On, they will be separated one from another. The shepherd, uh, just like he separates sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come forward, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom, prepare for you from the foundation of this world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer back to the Lord and say, When did we see you hungry and we fed you? When did we see you thirsty and we gave you something to drink? When were you naked and we clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison? Or when did we visit you? Verse 40 goes on to say, And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. See, the brothers and sisters of mine, whenever Jesus uses that language, typically he's talking about a church family. He's talking about followers. So it's pretty clear here he's specifically talking about the poor and suffering within the Christian faith. Or those believers of him. I guess the faith is yet to spawn um, with the disciples of the church itself. Uh, Verse 41 says, then we will also say to those on the left, depart from me, you are cursed into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For when I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. When I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when when did I see you and I didn't provide these things for you? Then he'll answer them, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. You may be thinking, sheeps and goats seem like a very unusual comparison. We read at the end of time, there's going to be two, there's two groups of people. There's going to be goat people and there's going to be sheep type of people. For some of you may know, sheeps and goats have very different personalities. This week I learned a lot about sheeps and goats as I was preparing this message. I was going to have a very unusual goat up on the screen, but I forgot to get it because it doesn't drive home the point we don't want to be those individuals. Sheep are willing to follow. They want to be part of and dependent upon the herd. Uh, uh, They really need a shepherd to help guide them. Goats, on the other hand, are stubborn, independent, and unlike sheep, they're not willing to be led. They give little thought to the herd. Clearly, when one reads the parable, Jesus invites the sheep into his kingdom because they did minister to fellow Christians in need, even if they were considered to be the least of his brethren. He rejects the goats because they did not minister to the the human condition, the needs of those individuals. The goats act stunned, probably like I would have responded, saying they don't remember any of this. These Christians are goat because they did not regard it as worthy of their time to invest in other people, willing really of their time to get messy in the lives of the human condition. And there's a lot of that in our community, suffering and despair. By rejecting them, they unknowingly also rejected Jesus himself. Have you ever thought about that? When we see a homeless person walk by and we kind of move? Or we see somebody out at a gas station picking cigarette butts or, or getting food out of the trash? Do we... Have we just kind of walked past them? Have we ever thought that that is us rejecting Jesus himself? And so in this parable, sheep people are easily led to do what God wants them to do, but goat people are unwilling, are always I find a reason they can or can't do something. Here's a question you may be asking yourself. Are we going to be separated before we go to heaven? Who then goes to heaven? What exactly is the difference between those who go to heaven and those who go to hell? Interesting enough, on the surface, it doesn't appear that either one of these groups are that much different uh, because it doesn't, you know, really reveal that on the surface. They both made it to the gathering. You know, I think of this, uh, I was thinking of award show, the Emmy. They always get up and say, it's just great to be nominated, right? Well, all these people have been nominated. It doesn't say how much either type went to church or how many God bless you's or I'm praying for you. They threw out to people that week. Those things are not described here. The only difference in sheep and goats in these parables are what one did and one did not do. Whether you are tangibly, actively engaged in the mission of God as described in Isaiah 61, it really seems like a pass-fail requirement. All human beings naturally gravitate towards helping those closest to them, whether it be friends, family, um, maybe a neighbor you've lived next door to for a long time. You know, we're diligent sometimes about helping the poor and the needy within our own congregation or within our own denomination. Let me say this. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I emphatically implore you to keep doing that. We should be diligent about that. I want to encourage you, though, to continue doing it because that is just as important as anything that we can do on a daily basis. But I'm also going to make an argument Uh, that we need more people in the church engaging in our services and our programs, specifically men. We need more men serving. Uh, We need more men involved in prayer retreats. We need more men involved in uh, being leaders uh, within uh, their families in our church. But one author described this type of giving as self-giving or part of our extended self, meaning it's easy for us because it's personal to us. Such Christians are confident that they're sheep and not goats because they are doing those things. Jesus referred to this kind of giving in Matthew 5 where he told his disciples that if they only show love to their brethren, if they only show love to those closest to them, what reward will they have? And he gives the example of the tax collector uh, in that verse. What Jesus is saying is consistent with the uh, 25th chapter in Matthew, in that parable, he said, but even, excuse me, if in this life believers have only helped people who are in the personal comfort zone, Jesus has no reward for them in his kingdom. He desires people in his kingdom who have in this life demonstrated a willingness to invest in others, in the lives of those outside of their comfort zone. To put it simply, Christians who chronically demonstrate an unwillingness to do that will be labeled a goat at the, end, at the time of final judgment. By now you're probably asking yourself, doesn't the Bible teach that salvation is uh, by faith alone? Isn't it a contradic- contradiction to say that our salvation is determined by how we respond to the needs of the least of these? Listen, I'm not a pastor by any means, and I don't even be held to that standard. I don't, it's a pretty lofty standard. I'm just someone who is um, challenged by these thoughts. Hear me out. I truly believe that real faith, the kind of faith that, from Jesus that saves us, that transforms us, is more than an intellectual response and more than church attendance. Amen. This saving faith that transforms us from the inside out is demonstrated by engaging in the mission of God. The point needs to be driven home here, that only Jesus' love saves us. But it's a direct response from our genuine gratitude to what he's, been doing, what he's done to us that compels us to love and serve others. Joyce Meyer says it this way, we're not saved by serving, but we're saved to serve. Another author said it this way, Jesus is not saying that we'll be saved by our good works such as giving to the poor or the needy. He's saying there's no way we can be saved if we're not doing those things. And that if we really are saved, we will show that by our kindness and our generosity to others. Particularly those who represent Jesus himself. I don't know. I talked to two people that were, they don't want to come to church this week. And I asked them why. And they said it was because Christians don't always act like Christians. And then that's another sermon because I told them that it's not about those other people. It's about you and, and your relationship. But I think we have to be cognizant of that as we approach other people and the first thing we can do before we get to their spiritual needs is sometimes fulfill their physical needs so we have to serve the author went on the furthest point by stating that there are two ways to tell what you believe what your mouth says and what your life says one of those two is more reliable and one never lies That's right. <laughs> I posed the question, what does your life say about you? Just reflect on that today. That challenged me personally this week. That just that one thought. It also challenged me that when I read that parable, it didn't seem like there was any type of compromise. You either did those things or you didn't. It was a pass-fail requirement. You're either all in or you're not. You're either a sheep or you're a goat. In closing, you know, I I do want to talk about the impact of foreign missions because I don't want to downplay that. I've just been given this opportunity to come here and speak about something that I know, which is more domestic type of service. Um, There's so much hurt around us working for the last 15 years or so with children that have been traumatized. There's so much darkness there and despair. There's no light that really gets through. Um, They have no hope. They have no plans, no goals in life. No one's ever believed in them. No one's ever told them that God loves them. And even if they do, how are they going to believe a heavenly father that they can't see, touch, or smell when their uh, earthly father mistreated them? How do you move past that? I lost my place. I'll find it again. For a long time, I thought if I wanted to go on a mission trip or to become a missionary, which I did think at one time, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I actually talked to a friend of mine and I said, you know, I think I'm going to leave and be a missionary. And he said, you know what? You don't have to go overseas. Drive 15 minutes down the road and there's Hope Hill. And that's what I did. You don't have to go overseas. But I I now know, you know, after 15 years that I'm a missionary right here where I live. That's right. I can be a better missionary. I'm not always a faithful one. It's sometimes, it sometimes comes out when it's convenient for me. The mission field is all around us, though, in our jobs and in our neighborhoods, in our relationships with friends that don't come to church or do come to church and won't take the next step. You know, as I mentioned earlier, Reaching out, serving those, picking up cigarette butts at gas stations? Those panhandling of street corners? You know, can you mentor a child in need? Can you cook or cut grass for the widow that lives down your street? Can you donate to a missionary or a local church? We're so lucky to be in a church that gets it. But we can always do more. You know, I have not here that I really want to brag on my parents. You know, they kind of taught us at a young age that the importance of serving others. I remember going to a house when I was a little kid. I don't know if my mom even remembers this. Dirt floor. Man just had a little fire inside his little house. And I think we just took him supplies. But it stuck with me, you know. Uh, it's reason one of those type of things, the reason why I do what I do. My sister's done an amazing job creating a park in Lexington. It's going to be unbelievable. Town Branch Park. It's going to bring light to a, to a community. Uh, to kids that don't have the opportunity to be around grass and trees, be in a beautiful place. It's bringing light in our own way to a community. We spend 99% of our time doing what we want to do, but only about 1% doing what we've been called to do, what our purpose is. I'm preaching to myself here. (laughs) Um, Some weeks it's .5, you know? We're more concerned about the weeds in our yard or making sure we tape the the golf on TV, you know, or that our kids are not being left out in in their grades or around their friends than the lonely widow that's sadly living down the street. You see, God cares so much more about our availability than our ability. So many of us aren't qualified, but he will use us. And in order to change, though, we have to change our mindset from I ought to do something or I should be doing something or I will do something. It has to change to I get to do something like it's exciting, right? Recently, I read a commentary on a Bible app that read, we've all probably had the experience of making chocolate milk with syrup. So you know that when you start stirring the milk and it turns from white to brown, it's some kind of magic trick, right? No, it's because there was already chocolate syrup sitting in the bottom of the glass. Everything that was needed to change the milk was already there, but it needed to be stirred in order to create a change. There's something similar that goes on in the life of a Jesus follower. We have in us the potential... And power for great love and good deeds. But sometimes that potential lies dormant. It settles at the bottom. And doesn't work its way into the world where it's so desperately needed. It, it needs somebody or maybe a situation to stir it up to be what it's supposed to be. I can tell you this. God has stirred the heart of Pastor Hutchison just in my short time of talking to him. It's one of the reasons we're here I, I need to be, I need to have a leader that that gets it, and he certainly does, he and his wife. God has given us all time, money, talents. He'll use our ordinary things and create extraordinary things. You see, with Jesus, you already have everything you need to get started. It reminds me of when he fed 5,000, he kept asking him, What's in your hands? Because they already had it. They said the faith that he would multiply, that he would use that. We are all lights. If we really buy into his mission, and if we put all this, pull all in the same direction and work together, this church will create a giant spotlight in this community. One that will be so evident that anyone searching for that type of mission, or anyone searching for help, will fill the pews in this church. Maybe you think you're too young to be used by God. And I want to give you an example. I'm doing okay on time. I think I know what Jesus meant when he said that we had to change and become like children in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to try to get through this because it's so beautiful. Recently, my daughter, my youngest one, Lydia the shy one that came up, came home and she told me about a lady they met at the park who was going through a divorce who felt like she did not have enough money to fight her her husband who had a better attorney, so she lost custody. She needed the money in order to get a good one, she thought, in order to get them back. There's probably more to it, but that was the basis of what my daughter heard. And she quickly responded with, I have been saving for Disney. She wanted to give her this lady who she did not know her Disney money. And she's been talking since she was about two years old about going to Disney. Mm. This was a stranger. And Lydia wasn't concerned whether or not she'd be paid back, taken advantage of, or that she wouldn't receive anything in return. Lydia saw a need. And because of her love, this great love that's within her. It stirred her heart so, so compellingly that she wanted to give something as precious as her Disney money. As a six-year-old, she was willing to pay the ultimate price in order to help a stranger with no questions asked. When's the last time we all did something like that? And I'm not talking about $5 for a homeless person or going to get a Big Mac. She was willing to give what was most precious to her. Maybe you think you're too old to be used by God. I'm reminded of the founder of Hope Hill, and I know both Pastor Hutchinson's know, um, Brother Kitchen. Last time I spoke to him, I every now and then would call just to check in because he was very special to me. And he was dying of leukemia. He was 90 years old. And we talked for like five minutes. And usually with Pastor Kitchen, it was an hour conversation. He loved to talk. But he gave me five minutes and he said, Chris, I have to get off of here. I have to get off the phone because there's a lady down the hallway who doesn't know Jesus. So I want to take a nap so I have enough energy to go down there and talk about him with her. See, that's a priority. Pastor Kitchen was a sheep, even late into his 90s. So you're never too old to be used by God. You're not too young. You're not too old. You're not too poor. You're not too busy. You fill in the blank. Once again, God is more concerned with your availability than your abilities. Today, I pray that God stirs your hearts. That's all I ask. I ask him to stir your hearts so you can shine the light in very dark places, wherever that exists in your life. Whoever right now is coming to your mind. All right, I'd like to. Would everybody just bow their heads, please, just for a little bit. I want everybody to right now just think about that one or that two people in your life. I ask that you just pray here in a minute. How many of you have lost your passion or have become so busy that you've neglected to do what you feel God wants you? In light of what God has spoken to you today, where does he want you to shine his light? Right now, ask the Holy Spirit to highlight the people he wants to draw into your life in a closer way. Then I challenge you to reach out to him this week, to put it on your calendar and just do it. I promise you, you won't regret it, and God will bless you for it. If you have someone in mind, would you mind raising your hand as a sign of a commitment? I see so many hands up. There's such a willingness to serve God. I pray that God gives those that didn't raise their hand, that he gives you the eyes to see the world as he sees it and sees other people how he sees them. The worship band's going to come up here in a minute. And, you know, if you'd like to come down to the altar to pray about this, I invite you to do so as they sing their next song. But before I do, I just want to lead us in prayer real quick. all right, God, we're just a group of people in this congregation who you know our human uh, condition, you know where we fail, you you know what uh, distracts us and what keeps us busy. God, I'm asking that you would reveal to us uh, those things so that we can make some adjustments in our life, some margin in our life in order to do, uh, to be a partner in your mission, God. I know you're so proud of the people here uh, that they're even in attendance today. You know, even the subtle, um, just the subtle movement of them, uh, God, I know means a lot to you. It does, me as a father of my children. And just like Lydia, Lydia I know you're proud of when we do just the, the smallest act, God, because it shows that uh, our heart's moving towards you. So, God, I'm just asking today that um, you would just give us maybe a tangible um, way to engage those around us God most importantly God thank you for loving us unconditionally thank you for this church it's your name I pray amen thank you for listening Be sure to follow Winchester First Church of God on Facebook for live broadcasts and updates. We'll have another episode here for you soon, so stay tuned. Have a blessed day.